was reading this book by Daryl Johnson on the Lord's Prayer, and partway through, this is a quote from a person by the name of Annie Dillard. Does anyone have the foggiest, foggiest idea of what sort of power we so literally invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to the pews. Because that's the type of power that we have been given with the gift of prayer. In another section, there's this quote. It says, in the last analysis, we know very little about our real needs. About what we lack and what we need. So we often pray for foolish things when what we need is something totally different. We're naked. And instead of praying for clothing, we pray for bonbons. We're imprisoned by certain passions, and instead of praying for freedom, we pray for a Persian rug for our sale for our cell. So often we pray for senseless things that have no relation to our needs. And the reason is that we do not know the deepest wants and necessities of all of life. We've been setting up this whole study this year around our mission statement. And the mission of Glenkirk is to be a worshiping community that invites others into becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus who love God and love the world. That's what we're saying we want to be about as a church, but the question gets to be, is that what we're about as people? See, it's not just this institution. It's all of us together. Is that who we are? Does that describe me? And I am an individual who, who worships God, who invites others into discipleship, into becoming like him, doing his will on this earth, of loving him and loving others. I still can't quite get Jonah out of my head. I know that story so well, and yet when I opened it up recently and, and realized that Jonah is such a picture of all of us, I'm okay to be a prophet, God, in my own country. I'm okay to be a prophet in the confines of the place that I want to be. But Lord, what do you mean you want me to go God called Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to leave. I want you to leave everything that is familiar and your family and your security, just everything about you. And I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you and I'm going to bless you in order to bless other people. 
that's the same thing God says to us. He's his invitation for us to leave this world behind and to enter into his kingdom. His kingdom present. To make his kingdom present. To show others the presence of his kingdom, of his rule, of his presence. See? I'm reminded over and over again, it seems like these days, that you know what happens in the Garden of Eden is that Adam and Eve are given this choice. Do you want to live in God's world or you don't want to create a world for yourself? And they make the decision to take things into their own hands, to do life their way as they see fit. And the reality is hatred and discord and selfishness and anxiety and fear and death and alienation and what we live in today. And Jesus comes and says, we can set the restart button. My kingdom's present. Come, follow me. Live in my kingdom. He says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, be born again. Completely redo how you do everything, how you picture everything. Start over. And the question gets to be, am I really starting over and learning how to live in God's kingdom? Or am I asking God to bless my kingdom? See, that's really the question that God keeps asking me over and over again. Betsy, whose kingdom are you living in? The kingdom of the world? Are you asking me to bless what you want? Or are you entering in to what I'm doing? That causes a total reset in my mind. Just about every minute of every day. Because I all of a sudden start doing things entirely different. The disciples saw that in Jesus. They saw that he did things entirely different. And so they go to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to do things different. Because obviously, you're doing it different. And he gives them this prayer. Okay. Um, a prayer that is all about God and about his kingdom and what God is doing. Okay. It's a prayer that's not so much to change my kingdom as it is to change me so that I live in God's kingdom. 
It's a prayer where we understand who God is and what he's doing. It's a discipleship prayer. Okay? It's a warfare prayer. One of the things that over and over and over and over again scripture tells us is that prayer changes things. That's what we're saying. Prayer changes things. And I pray my coffee with Jesus prayer and I go, well, God, that didn't change anything. And God's going, well, because, you know, that's all taken care of. Don't worry about that garbage. I want you to worry about what I'm doing. I want you to enter into what I'm doing and then you will see results. And one of the things that with this Lenten devotion and, and, and the whole point of this Lenten devotion is to do spiritual practices that put us in this position of doing things God's way in God's kingdom. So we become kingdom people so that we change this world Bringing in God's kingdom. That's what we're tasked to do. See? But we do it in an entirely different way than the way the world does things. Okay? I don't get it because I was brought up in the world. And, and God's going, no, I want you to start practicing being kingdom people. This is how things are done in the kingdom. They're done not by you. They're done by my father. And so you start by going to him, asking him. I don't know if you noticed, but all of the Lord's prayer is asking God to do something, not asking me to do anything because I can't do anything. They're all in imperatives. God, do this, do this, do this, do this. With the one exception about leading, but other than that, it's all do, do. God, you do it. God, this is what I want you to do. And the question I have as I go through the Lord's Prayer is, do I really want what it's praying about? And it really became a a huge question for me. Um, One thing before we go on to looking at the Lord's Prayer a little bit differently. um, You started this week by looking at Hannah's prayer. And reading Tim Keller on on Hannah's prayer was really interesting. Because what Tim Keller does with Hannah's prayer, he says, you know, here is what culture's like. Culture in Hannah's day meant that having a child was everything. You got your identity from having a child. The more children you had, the more prosperous you were. Everything revolved around this child. And she doesn't have one. And and her husband comes to her and says, it's okay, you have my love. Don't worry about it. But she's trapped in this culture that says, no, this is what it is. And so she goes to God and puts out her heart before God. And in that process, she's changed. This is what Keller says. She's saying, all my life I've wanted a child for me. But now I want a child for you. I want a child who can work in your mission. I want a child who can work in your ministry. Or here's another way to put it. She says, oh my word, all my life I wanted to be a mother. 
I've wanted to bring life into the world. But now in the presence of God, I realize I do want to bring life into the world. But I want to bring real life into the world. I want to bring your life into the world. I want to bring the word. I want to bring salvation. That's what I want to bring to the world. And so she has Samuel and gives him over to God. See, in a sense, at the heart of that is, is you, there's these needs that we have inside of us that we think give us identity and purpose. But our world's twisted them. I want a child. That's natural. But I want the child for me. And she's changed. And she begins to realize that the purpose of having that child is to give life to others. To give life to the world. And so she has this child that she gives up. Where are my ideas about what life is all about centered in my kingdom rather than God's kingdom? Let's go to that first slide. Um, The whole purpose of prayer is friendship with God. That we might understand that he really is in control of everything, that he's really Lord of all, that I don't have to worry. He has it all in his hands. The whole purpose of prayer is to realize that I'm a child of God. And as a child, God wants to give me everything I need. Okay. But just like a child and who thinks they need a Persian rug for their jail cell. God is saying, I want to give you freedom. So let me teach you what it's all about. Hebrews 7 is a great picture. It basically says that um, God is, that Jesus is actually sitting by the side of the Father, interceding for us. He's praying for us. His whole life now is about prayer. Okay. Um, Revelations Six through eight. It's the whole section where the the seals, seven seals are broken. And every one of those seals are broken in answer to prayer. Okay? And the last seal, the seventh seal is broken. And there's absolute quiet in heaven for, for 15 minutes. Okay? No more holy, holy, holy. No more singing. It's silent. As God's, as the prayers, our prayers are brought to God. God responds to our prayers. There's power in prayer as we pray for the things that matter. Ephesians 6, the whole section which will be on putting on the armor of God ends with kind of a summary statement and in all things pray over everything with all types of prayers. We are in a warfare. There is a battle. Satan doesn't want the kingdom of God. He wants us to be in this kingdom of this world. He wants us to live the way we've been brought up with the selfishness and the clutching and, and, and the wanting life now the way I want it. It's a battle that's going on between God's kingdom 
and Satan's kingdom. And we're called to enter into that battle. But that battle is fought entirely different than the way we fight in the world. In the world, I fight by working harder. In the world, I fight by making sure I'm right, by getting my way, by making sure nobody steps on me. In God's battles, it's fought by love and service and dying and praying. Tim on on Sunday said that the business of the church is to pray. And then he asked, how's business? And it like hit me between the eyes. How's business? I walked out of Sunday and said, you know what? I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. You know how many days I've done that? It's a battle. See? And to the degree that I don't enter into that battle fighting the way spiritual battles are fought, I'm going to fail in that battle. And Satan's going to win. Before we pray, we need to know God for who he is. Um, Not for ourselves. Not to be seen by others. Not to look spiritual. Not to have God make me look good. But I enter into prayer to know God for who he is. Okay. Not to control him, but to allow him to control me. And so one of the first questions I ask is, do I really want God? Or do I want God to let me be God? What is my motive? Before I pray, I need to have a relationship with God that's based on grace and not performance. That understand that he wants to give me what I want. That it's not about doing it right or praying three times a day or saying certain words. See, it's not a performance thing. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship thing. Before I enter into prayer, I need to be forgiving. There's that whole line in the Lord's Prayer that causes everybody problems. You know, if I don't forgive, then I'm not forgiven. The reality on that whole line is really very simple. If I understand the depth of what I've been forgiven, if I understand the depth of the grace and the mercy that God has given to me, if I understand the depth of all the riches that God wants to give to me, when I get that, then what some puny little thing that somebody has done to me doesn't matter. I mean, I'm the child of a king. So some pauper wants to spit at me big diff. Right? I mean, who cares? They're still out on the streets. I got to go home to the palace. I mean, that's a weird picture. But in a sense, I have this father who wants to bless me with everything and when I get that what somebody does to me doesn't matter so to an extent the extent to where I can forgive others shows me the depth of my understanding of what I have with God and so if I'm not forgiving back 
then the place to start is going back and going, God, what am I missing in my relationship with you? Where am I still trying to earn your favor rather than just receive and enjoy? As we pray, we spend time adoring God. We ponder and place ourselves in the greatness of God. We surrender our will to God. You see, true prayer is giving up power. I pray to get power. True prayer is giving up power. Prayer is asking for daily needs one day at a time. It's trusting. Um, I'd never really put this section of the prayer with the wilderness experience where God tells the Israelites to go out and, and get just enough manna for that day and not to hoard it. See, When they got more manna than what they needed, it got maggots and stunk and spoiled. And sometimes when we're wanting to clutch on to more than what we need, that's exactly what happens. Is it spoils and it spoils us. One of the things about this prayer also on this section is the whole prayer, as, as pointed out on Sunday, was it's all in the plural. Give us this day our daily bread. When I'm praying this prayer, I'm not just praying that God would take care of me today, but I'm also praying that he's taking care of the homeless person today. That he's feeding those who on the refugee trail between Syria and some place to call home. See, I'm called to pray that for everybody. And I'm asking that God make me a person without sin, a person who forgives. A person who fights the battles with the adversary and comes out being more like God. That whole section of the prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, is a whole section that says, Lord, as the tests come today, as the refining fire gets turned up, may those circumstances be used that I might become more like you rather than opportunities for your adversary to trip me up and make me more like the world. See, the whole key is to get to know God so much so that we become new. Okay, that we're more joyful and tough and gracious and trusting. The whole point of the prayer is that we enter into the Father's will, trusting that will. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in a sense, prayed this prayer. Father, please let this cup pass from me, but not my will, your will. See? And the angels in Luke came down and ministered to him in the agony of that prayer of deciding to do God's will. Is that my prayer? Let's go to the next slide for a minute. Um, it's, it's a gift. It reveals the heart 
of the living God, his concerns. See, God's concerns is about his name getting lifted up. We live in a world that doesn't want to lift up the name of God. We want to lift up our own name. We see that all over the place. And I think the reason why that's growing so much is because we've stopped praying that God's name be lifted up. Lord, as I go today, may people see your name lifted up as they see me. May they see your kingdom presence because the king is present. The kingdom, wherever the king is present, the kingdom is present. May they see you in me and, and praise you. And see that there's a better way to life, that there's a better way to live. I'm praying for his coming kingdom. I'm praying for the fulfilling of his pleasures because his good pleasures are good for me. You see, all too often, I don't pray this prayer because I don't trust that he's going to really do what's best for me. That his kingdom really is what's best for me. That's why it starts with the Our Father. And that's a tough one because a lot of us don't have good fathers. But learning again what a real father is like becomes really important. Okay? We, we need to go to God and, and, and ask him to help us forgive our fathers, to, to help us get past our fathers and understand what it means for him to be a shepherd and a provider and a mighty God. And a warrior and a God who's present and who gives peace and gives us everything we need. Because only as I get that, only as I get that God wants everything and has given everything to me, can I even dare leave everything behind and trust to do his will rather than my will. And so I begin our father focusing on God and on his greatness. Who art in heaven, who's in complete control. Hallowed be your name. May you be lifted up. Because that's how the world's going to change. Fulfills good pressure. Provides us so we can have kingdom life. Gives us bread so we can do his work. Give us what we need on a daily basis so we can do his word. Cancels our debts so that we don't have to worry about the past. In fact, the, the whole prayer has a sense of past, present, and future. Past, forgive us our debts. Present, give us our needs. Future, your kingdom come. Protects us from the attacks of Satan. The prayer gets us to enter into what God is doing in history. History changes as we pray. The prayer, the scope, is all of life. It's a prayer of discipleship. Okay. We talk about what we need to be disciples. Just pray the prayer. Pray it three times a day. Because everything you need to know about being a disciple is there in that prayer. Knowing who God is, knowing what God is doing. Going to him in dependence, loving other people, forgiving other people. Becoming like God rather than giving it to Satan. Let's go. Um, you're going to get these things and, and it kind of goes down through all the different these slides go down through all the different aspects of who God is or, or all the different phrases all the different petitions um, one of the things that was fascinating um, I think that our father 
Father is used only like 17 times in the Old Testament. It's used 170 times in the New Testament. Okay. Um, but look at slide. Let's go to um, slide seven for a minute. When we pray thy kingdom, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's not just food to eat. The Westminster Confession takes that and it talks about how what we're really praying is for all that we need in, in life, okay? For our physical needs, praying for everything that the world needs. Um, it's, it's praying that we would have the energy to live for the kingdom, that we'd have the resources of the Holy Spirit. We're praying for Jesus himself as the bread of life. We're praying for the bread of the kingdom of peace and joy. It calls us to live a lifestyle of solidarity with the rest of the world, of radical dependency on God, calls us to live a lifestyle of gratitude. Let's go to the next slide. Next. Mm. Um, just real fast, the enemy doesn't want us to pray this prayer. The enemy doesn't want us to live in dependence on God. And so the way the enemy comes at us with temptations is, is to sow siege of suspicion, to, to get us to, in a sense, focus on this world rather than God's world, to focus on the negative, to make false deductions, to force God's hands, to take matters into our own hands. And the next slide, I think. Ah, forget it. Just leave it there. Um, It's not a complicated prayer. It's an all-encompassing prayer. Here's my challenge. What I handed out to you is two things. One, it is a challenge that came at the end of Dallas Willard's book about taking a day every day and spending it with God starting at night before you go to sleep because in the Hebrew world, the day actually begins at night. Resting, getting up the next morning and spending time with God, taking time throughout the day to spend time with God. The monastics do it seven times a day. I would just challenge us to do it three times. And then ending the day with reflection and confession. See, again, Here's my question. And it's a question to me as much to all of you. See, I think, according to my way of doing things, that the world is about what I produce and what I work for and what I do. And what this daily way of doing things does is it reminds me that I don't live by the world standards, I live by the kingdom standards, and they're entirely different. Those standards come about by bringing God into every situation I encounter, letting him take care of it in his way, being available to him. The page 62, 63 of the Lenten devotion has has another way of maybe ordering your day. But here's my challenge My challenge is that we would take time every day, three times a day for the rest of this Lenten season and at least stop and pray the Lord's Prayer. 
slowly reflecting on each of its petitions. Asking God what I need to learn more about each one of those petitions. How I can enter into each one of those petitions. The latter part of what I gave you is kind of a a summary from a book um, that I have that towards the end reflects on Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal and sees each petition of the Lord's Prayer in that painting. And I just give it to you to, in a sense, continue to expand how you can pray that prayer. The slides will also help you expand how you can pray each one of the petitions. Daryl Johnson has a book, 50, I don't know, what's it called? 57 Words That Changed the World that can help you expand that petition. Here's my desire. Is that we become kingdom people. That we live as kingdom people in kingdom ways. But that starts with this discipleship prayer. Praying. Recognizing the Father. Desiring that he be lifted up and not me and not my world. And not my life. That he be lifted up. That his kingdom come. That his will be done. That he just give me what I need to make that happen. That I would be his hands and feet. Loving and forgiving and blessing others as he has blessed me. And that I would not give in to the adversary. But that I would reflect him increasingly. Do you want to be kingdom people? Do you want God's name to be lifted up? Do you trust him? Will you with me learn how to pray this prayer all over again? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a good morning.